Lou, something really, really strange happened last night. What's that? I don't. I didn't see any press releases. I didn't see any Twitter action about it. But somehow, Tom Hanks from Castaway was pitching for the Detroit Tigers at one point. No kidding, really? Yes. Did he yell Rawlings instead of Wilson? Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Yes Men. Sorry if I blew your ears out earlier uh, in the intro, but I am Lou DiPietro. To my left, as always, my co-host, Doug Williams. Hazard. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that you want to listen to this podcast in the car with the windows down. Uh, so you get the full audio effect. I'm Lou, he's Doug, we're The Yes Men, and we're back with a, uh, with a non-video edition of the podcast this week after a little Google Hangout excitement last week for the trade deadline. Um, and an exciting trade deadline it turned out to be. Both of us were a little, uh, I don't want to say surprised, but both of us were a little <clears throat> happy, I guess, with the way that the trade deadline turned out to be. A lot, of, a lot of flurry of action in the last couple hours after it started with the mega deal for John Lester. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. It was action-packed. I, I didn't expect it to be like that. I feel like every year it's not. It doesn't live up to the hype, and there are a lot of big names that were available. A lot of, a lot of guys weren't traded, Lou, but... Um, the big names, the the Lester and Price kind of stole the other storylines away. The fact that, you know, Alex Rios, Matt Kemp, those guys didn't get yep. dealt. But, Philly you know, dealt nobody. Nobody. Um, and that's a whole other story. I mean, to be a fan of that organization must just be the most crippling and just awful experience yeah. that I can imagine. For everyone out there that's on the get rid of Brian Cashman yesterday bandwagon, go be a Phillies fan for an hour and deal with Ruben Amaro Jr., who just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I can imagine if you're a Phillies fan that you love him when he goes out and signs Cliff Lee and then, you know, signs Roy Halladay and, and makes these big deals. But when they don't work, the, the objective is use those pieces to bring back right. something that can help you in the long term. Prime objective A being Marlon Bird, who was a great signing. Marlon Bird is being Marlon Bird again for the second straight season, you know, proving that he earned the contract he got. But the Phillies are in dead last, so get rid of them. Get something for them. Yeah, and it's not a group of players that's helping them win. Mm-hmm. No. So why keep paying them when you can bring back really good prospects? I mean, you know what? I tweeted this out last week. The Phillies and Ruben Amaro are like that guy in your fantasy league that offers these ridiculous trades and just gets pissed at you for not accepting them. Yeah, when you don't say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll trade you Matt Kemp, but I want Mike Trout, John Lester, yeah. uh, Jeff Samarja. Like, there's always a guy like, in your fantasy league that overvalues his guys. He's like, what? Like, in fantasy football, it's like, he rushed for 1,000 yards two seasons ago. It's like, well, he's really bad right now. Yeah. That's what Ruben Amaro's like. He's, he's asking for your number one prospect for Marlon Bird, and I agree. Marlon Bird's having a good season, but he's not Matt Kemp, and... It seems like he's overvaluing Ryan Howard because of his past. Just let them go. Bring back yeah. good prospects and, and move forward. Or it's like the guy in your baseball league that has Mike Trout and will trade him to you, but he wants three guys that have similar numbers to Trout, but just because they're not the number one ranked player, his right. argument is, well, Mike Trout's the best player in baseball. It's like, well, yes, but Josh Donaldson and Marlon Byrd are having better seasons right? You know, combined than he is, so why would I trade both of them to get Mike Trout for two months? Right. It doesn't make sense. And that's exactly what the <clears throat> Phillies are like, and it's just got to be terrible. So their lack of movement was surprising on, on the 31st, but generally it was really action-packed. 
Um, I can understand people not understanding the Stephen Drew move. I can get that. I mean, a yeah. lot of people weren't in love with that at first. But when you think about it, it makes sense in a lot of ways. He's he's basically – it's a tryout to see if maybe he can be the shortstop of the future for the Yankees. And also, he's uh, similar to Kelly Johnson with the bat, but he's a much better athlete and fielder. Mm-hmm. So uh, for basically the same player, and it was a switcheroo of a trade, it makes sense. And I really like Martin Prado. I think he's going to be a Yankee for a few years, and I think Yankee fans are going to love him. I love his hustle. He's just he's got a really good bat. I think he, that was a really good deal by the Yankees. You know, you were you were all, and I, I think I gave you credit for that in the live uh, the live blog we did in the trade deadline, where you had mentioned a couple weeks earlier that Prado was a good target to look at. <clears throat> I personally am still of the ilk that the Yankees weren't going to add salary. Uh, they did obviously with Prado. And Brian Cashman said he had to ask to do that. I mean, the team has a $200 million payroll. He had asked to add more. Okay. Um, But he's a very good player in that, yes, he's never really played right field, but he can do that because he's played everywhere else. And now you've got a guy. This could very well end up being, for the Yankees, what the trade for Nick Swisher was in 2009. When the Yankees traded for Nick Swisher in 2009, the idea was going to be, He's a good first baseman slash outfielder type. If we can't go out and get a first baseman because Giambi left, he can be our first baseman. If not, he can be kind of a fourth outfielder type. They signed Teixeira, so that eliminated the first part of that, and he went to the fourth outfielder type. And then Xavier Nady blew out his elbow two weeks into the season. Nick Swisher took over in right field and didn't leave for four years. So this could very well be the same thing. You look at if Rob Refsnyder isn't ready, if they want to keep him in AAA next year, they don't have to go out and sign a Brian Roberts because Martin Prado can play second base. If Alex Rodriguez just can't play, period, Martin Prado can play third base next year. They have a, they have, it's a better backup option than, well, Kelly Johnson can kind of do all this stuff, so we'll just sign him and hope. Right. And normally these moves work out for Cashman. Normally the Brian Roberts move and the Kelly Johnson move and the Matt Thornton move, they end up working so that you know he looks great. And I think Brian Cashman is a terrific GM. But this year they didn't work out. Uh, the Yankees are lucky enough to be in a division that hasn't run, run away from them and a wild card race that's still very close, and the Yankees are in the middle of it. But this year, those moves didn't work. Uh, Kelly Johnson wasn't great. Uh, Brian Roberts was really poor. And now Brian Cashman has had to kind of pick up the pieces, and, mm-hmm. and I think that's part of the reason why he added salary was he was like, look, I made a mistake we got to let these guys go. Let me add a little salary to bring Prado in. The Headley deal has yep. totally worked out. He's only hitting like 240, but he's been unbelievable in the field. And you know what's interesting, Lou? They DFA'd Thornton yesterday, which was kind of the last remaining guy that the Yankees had signed this offseason where Cashman was saying, all right, time to let him go. And these guys were just stopgaps. Joel Sherman, Joel Sherman tweeted this yesterday. It was like uh, Roberts, um, Kelly Johnson – and uh, Thornton were all viewed as guys that were just going to come in and hold the you know hold, hold the position the down, until right. somebody else could do it. And <clears throat> all three, of course, gone now. But they saved four and a half million dollars by by letting uh, yep. Thornton go. Three and a half of that next year, but still, that's important because Alex Rodriguez comes back on the books next year as even as Jeter and Kuroda possibly Ichiro come off. Right, and <clears throat> a lot of people are saying that they're going to use that money to go get star- a starting pitcher now. Um, that's kind of, I think, what I'm expecting and much of what I've read, it appears that they're going to go get another starting pitcher. I don't know who it'll be, but... Yeah, this would be a spot where, like you said, 
you know, multiple times where a Cliff Lee might look good if he has a couple of good starts in August. He gets through waivers. I mean, the Phillies put everybody. I think they even put their well, the fanatic the through now, waivers, isn't he? Uh, he is, yeah. But if he comes back, I, I, like I said, I think the Phillies even put the fanatic on waivers yesterday because it's it, it's fire sale time over there. But uh, you know, the thing is, is with all these incremental upgrades they made, you know, they took on a little bit of salary with Headley trading him for Solarte. They took on a little bit more salary with McCarthy trading him for Nuno, even though Arizona kicked in a little bit and San Diego kicked in some cash. They sort of won the the Kelly Johnson Drew deal because, you know, it's the player's healthy, even though it was kind of a straight up salary based on Drew's prorated contract and what Johnson had left. It's kind of a, a little bit more addition. And then Prado, but all of these guys have been better ads so far than the three guys, like you said, they replaced. And I saw, you know, the tweet from Sherman, and I was going to bring that up, you know, if you hadn't, about how they were all kind of stopgap guys. Thornton, I mean, he had one bad month. He was pretty good to okay the rest of the year. After the All-Star break, he's been pretty good since then. But, again, he's a 37-year-old lefty, quote-unquote, specialist who doesn't particularly pitch well against left-handers and is making a lot of money. And Cashman even mentioned yesterday when he talked about it, Tyler Webb is at AAA. He was drafted a couple years ago, but he's already worked his way up to AAA. Jacob Lindgren, who's been blazing up the system, is now in AA as of the other day. You know, he's a guy that people had said when he was drafted that he might be an option in September. And it's August 5th or 6th as we, we tape this. He's in AA. It's not too far off. He even mentioned, you know, James Pezos, who's been down single A, triple A this year, pitching the Arizona Fall League last year and impressed. Fred Lewis had a pretty good spring. You know, he's been bump, bouncing around the system. You never know what you can get with him. And you've still got other guys. Rich Hill obviously came up as, you know, maybe he's a stopgap. Cesar Cabral is still down there toiling around if you really need a guy. You know, there's there's options. Cabral wasn't released? No. Oh, okay. He's still around. Um, so there's options. And if, if you wave Thornton and somebody's going to claim him, bye. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> see, I think it was a smart move. You mentioned all those names. One name you didn't mention was Manny Banuelos, and that's one of the names that Cashman mentioned yesterday in the right. media scrum. Um, he's been tearing it up of late, which is good news for the Yankees because he's just had a really tough year recovering from you know coming back from Tommy John, right? And um, you know that would be an interesting story for him to come up and join the bullpen with yep. uh, the other killer B. Uh, and with him being on the forty man roster, they don't have to do anything to do that; they just come up, right? So. Somebody's got to start for David Phelps on Friday. Right now, I would imagine, based on the fact that he hasn't pitched in the last couple of days, that it's going to be Chase Whitley, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, Chase Whitley would be the easy option. Uh, I don't think it's going to be S. Mill Rogers who pitched last night. Right. Um, David Hoff, too. So, I mean, it's it's him or unless they're going to send somebody away and call up Brian Mitchell to make his major league debut. That's about the only 40-man option they have. Yeah, I would say either Whitley, Mitchell, or they go out and acquire somebody. That would really mess up the minor league monthly we're taping after this because I've got a whole segment on Brian Mitchell. But, <laughs> you know, let's let's put it this way. If if he comes up and makes a start Friday and then minor league monthly comes out next week and that's still in there, it's because I'm on vacation after tomorrow. So I'm sorry. And I'll, I'll, I'll wait and I'll edit it. <laughs> And I can make the editorial decisions uh, if that, you know, Brian Mitchell is called up. I'll edit it then. Okay. So. That works. That works. We're having a personal conversation on the podcast. Yes, but um, What are you doing for dinner, by the way? <laughs> so the Yankees right now, what? They're four games over 500? Uh, yes. I'm, I'd be interested to hear any of our listeners, like, where do you think the Yankees are? Are you excited about the Yankees the, the rest of the way? Um, because 
you could look at it two ways. You could say they have, you know, no pitching and their offense has been anemic and they're probably just going to, you know, toil with the idea of potentially making the playoffs and then they'll miss it because they're not strong enough. Right. Or you could say, look at that lineup now with Drew and Prado, one through nine. There's not an easy out there. Everybody's got a little bit of pop. I think you know they'll rally around Jeter, get to the playoffs. Tanaka and Pinedo will come back, and, and, and they'll acquire a pitcher, and it's going to be a really strong team. You really could go either way. I, I'm going to go with 87. That's the number I'm going to give you right now, 87. With, what, 50 games to go? they got to win 28, 27, something like that. I'm going to go with 87 as the number, which isn't much better than last year, but... Last night was a prime example of game the Yankees absolutely need to win. Their pitching staff, regardless of the fact that Brandon McCarthy has pitched like an ace, which we'll have a story on Saturday um, with stuff we've collated this week, you know, going into his next start. He's pitched like an ace since he's been here. Shane Green's been pretty good. Chris Capuano had one good start, one not so good start. You know, he's filling in the gap there. Kuroda has been consistent most of the year. Phelps has been consistent most of the year, even if their records aren't the best. The pitching staff is still a disaster because it's not Tanaka, Sabathia, Kuroda, Nova, Pineda, and hasn't been since mid to late April and won't be. Since, you know, it hasn't been since Pineda went out and then Nova went out and then Sabathia went out, and it's not going to be that way. When somebody like Kuroda gives them that kind of start, they need to win that game, especially against David Price, who pitched into the ninth inning. Yeah, You need to win that game against a good team. And really, it doesn't matter whether it's against Texas or Detroit. You need to win that game. And really, it also doesn't matter how Kuroda pitches. If he's your ace, you need to win the games he right. pitches. We said that about Tanaka earlier this year. When he pitches, you got to win. And now, I hate to say it, but when Kuroda pitches, yeah. the Yankees have to win. I totally agree with you. I think they let that that game slip away. And you know what's interesting, Lou, about those kind of extra inning games? It's almost like when you're down one run or, sorry, when you're tied in extra innings, everyone wants to hit that walk-off solo shot. Mm-hmm. And um, Chase Headley almost, right. well, it wouldn't have been he a walk-off, but he it. almost tied it. I think that generally the Yankees hit better when they're, when they're down. We saw that in the 14-inning game in Texas. It's much easier when you're down a run to put some good swings together and, and hit for a single. And last night, the best swings they had were off Joe Nathan uh, when they were down a run in the mm-hmm. 12th inning. It was a frustrating game. 87 is an interesting prediction. Uh, I think they would be disappointed with it, but I think it's yeah. realistic. Especially after going 85 and 77 last year. 87 right. wins, that's an incremental upgrade. And when you added $500 million in committed payroll, two, <laughs> two wins is nothing. Yeah, Two wins is you know the difference between Chase Headley's ball going out last night and not. Well, yeah. it, it, you know, I will say it looks like Pineda and Tanaka will eventually come back. Tanaka threw a little harder, you know, 50, from, 50 throws from 60 feet yesterday. No pain. He'll, yep. I would say he'll probably be on a mound in the next two weeks. Yeah, I would say mid to late August, yeah. week or two, yeah. So, and Pineda was, was with the pitchers yesterday at Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he'll be he'll be back after his next start. I don't think he'll be... Uh, pitching for Phelps on Friday, but maybe sooner rather than later. I think, you know, you say they're going to go out and get another pitcher, this and that. I think Phelps being on the DL, it sucks for the team, obviously, and it's kind of disappointing. And I know Joe said a couple times that Pineda's not necessarily an option, this and that, blah, blah, blah. 
it, I'm going to say the same thing about him that I said about CC Sabathia right before the All-Star break, before we found out that his knee was going to cost him the year. You can make a stopgap start with 13 pitchers on Friday. You can make, you know, you can fashion three to four out of Whitley, maybe five if he's feeling good, couple out of Rogers, couple out of Daly, you know, who was called up to replace Phelps. See how Pineda pitches. I'm assuming his start Friday is going to be in Scranton. Scranton and Trenton are both home, so I'm assuming it's going to be Scranton again. See how he pitches. If his stuff is sharp and he looks good, I know he threw 58 pitches in three and a third, so even if you add on maybe 75 pitches through five is realistic. If he looks good and his next start is 90, why not? Why not bring him back? You You can, again, with your bullpen, especially if they're rested, and the Yankees have some random off day schedules going on here in the next couple weeks. Between the off days and this and that, chances you got a 13-man staff right now. Even if he only gives you six innings, five and change on those 90 pitches, McCarthy only gave you five and two-thirds the other night, and the bullpen was dominant behind him. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there, and I'm going to disagree with you uh, about something that you said a few minutes ago. Um, I agree with you. I think 90 if, – if Pineda is at a 90-innings cap or 90-pitch cap, have him start for the Yankees yeah. because – Here's the problem, and, and I, I think Brandon McCarthy's pitched very well. But here's why he hasn't pitched like an ace. He hasn't pitched – I don't think he's pitched even close to the eighth inning yet. No pitcher – Six and two-thirds is, is, is for the deepest season. Start. Yep. And no pitcher uh, for the Yankees has touched the eighth inning, no starting pitcher, since the All-Star break. So then on this staff, he would be an ace because he's gotten into the seventh a couple times. Right. But <laughs> your, your definition of an ace no, I, I is, know what you mean. is he's, yes, he's the, yeah. he's the ace of the Yankee staff right now. No, I, I know what you mean. Be- better than anybody else. But yep. the Yankees need starting pitchers to give them length because they, I don't think they can afford to give a bullpen start for Friday, like the way you put it. Right. Everybody throws a few innings because that's what they're doing every night anyway. The back end, yes. And, and realistically right now with the four guys you have at the back end, David Huff has kind of worked his way up the pecking order too. So we'll, we'll throw him in there as a multiple flex guy. With those five guys, you need to be able to fashion three innings out of those five guys every night. It's doable, especially on a night where Batances throws six pitches in an inning and can come out and give you another out or even two outs. You know, on a night where Adam Warren hasn't pitched in two days, so he can go out and give you 40 pitches. Between those four guys and Huff on occasion, whether he's a matchup lefty or, you know, uh, the Tigers lineup stacked a couple of lefties the other day when Suarez was in there uh, and Don Kelly was in there, you know, you can do that. You're going to need to do that. And then come September 1st, it'll be theoretically a little easier because you can bring up the guys like Daly. Or I think Preston Claiborne is still on the disabled list in AAA, but he's on the 40-man roster. You can bring him up. You can bring up Mitchell to be an arm in the bullpen. You can bring up the Banuelos if you want. You can bring up the entirety of your 40-man roster or make moves so that you have 16, 17 pitchers at your disposal. That makes it a little easier to throw a guy out there to do some mop-up in the fifth inning when somebody struggles to still keep that back end where you need three innings out of these five guys every day and just plan accordingly. Yep. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, I I think your uh, kind of idea is that the bullpen can handle it and that you can fashion it, especially right. with the days off. And I think that's correct, and that's something that I would expect out of my bullpen if I mm-hmm. were Joe Girardi. But a lot of times, 
bullpens somehow do wear down given the amount of times that they're pitching. Like the Yankees right now, if Dellen Batances has a night off, one night off, he gets, you know, he can throw two innings the next night. Yep. And while that's probably, that's probably good for the Yankees because both Warren and Batances have been really good, I'm not sure that that's enough rest to be able to rely on these guys consistently to throw two innings every other night. Well, if you again, if you have those five guys and you figure, okay, Batances is my backup closer, and then maybe Kelly. You don't necessarily want Warren closing, I don't think, because he doesn't have the most electric stuff of those four. Uh, he's not a guy that's going to wow you with the stuff. Neither is David Phelps. They just get the job done with what they have, but... If you figure that, then again, you know, if one night it's, okay, there's a lot of lefties coming up, so it's Huff in the seventh, and then Batances and Robertson. And then the next night it's Kelly Ward Robertson. And then the next night it's Kelly Warren Batances. And you can manage it enough. They don't necessarily even have to give you two innings if you can say, I've got four guys, five with Huff, that can give me an inning a night four times a week. For the next three weeks, they have to do that. And then, like I said, the reinforcements come. September 1st, everybody's eligible. So you can bring up, you know, if if Claiborne is hurt, you take him off the DL, you bring him up, you DL him because it's not going to do anything with the service time, you add somebody else. All right, so let's say that the the season continues and and the Yankees uh, somehow, you know, they get a wild card berth and they win the wild card game. So they're in the five-game series in the ALDS. Um, Pineda has come back. Tanaka's back. He's not throwing 95. He, he, he looks like he's still kind of in a spring training mode, which mm-hmm. he will be probably. But you have Tanaka, Pineda, and everyone else in the rotation that has kind of patchworked together everything this year. Who are you starting in a five-game series if it goes five games? Well, in a one-game playoff right now, I'm throwing Tanaka. Right, one-game that's, playoff. Uh, that's, that's no question. Even no if question. he's not 100%, he's still better than anyone else. If it goes to – I, I got to stick with Tanaka. Reason being, 85% Masahiro Tanaka was still better than 95% of the Yankees' rotation this year. Right. So, so you're saying he's I, your game one? He's my game one and he's my game five. I would use four starters – because, like I said, Kuroda, if he doesn't – let's hope he doesn't have a fade down the stretch like he did last year. If he doesn't, he's a veteran guy. He knows what he's doing, that number two spot. Phelps has been consistent at the very least, and Pineda has been dominant when he's been in there. So you got to kind of pick between one of them. And say what you want, Brandon McCarthy has earned a playoff start. If this team gets into the ALDS and it's game three – you know, and Tanaka, Tanaka pitches the play-in game and then Kuroda is game one, he's earned it. Yeah. I mean, he has, he has earned it. And, you know, I, I've heard talk. I, I was listening. I, I went out to get lunch today, and I was in the car. And uh, Mark Zuckerman, who covers the Nationals for Comcast Sportsnet's website in Washington, was talking about how right now in a, in a seven-game series even, when you have four starters, if the Nationals had to drop a starter, Steven Strasburg looks like the likeliest candidate to not make a start because Tanner Roark has been so good this year. And Doug Fister has been so good this year. And, you know, Zimmerman has been so good this year. So it's kind of between Gonzalez and Strasburg. Who would have said that at the beginning of the year? That, oh, it's Tanner Roark. He's the fifth starter or whatever. Same thing with uh, Rick Porcello and Justin Verlander in Detroit. Exact yeah. same scenario. And even in even in, in uh, Oakland. You know what I mean? Obviously, Hamill hasn't pitched well. But, like, somebody's getting dro- you know, somebody's gonna drop there. It happens. So he's earned it. 
because of the way he's pitched. You got to go with who's pitching well. You can't go with Justin Verlander because he's Justin Verlander. I'm going with Rick Porcello because he's 13 and five with a three ERA. Right. And so going back to the question I asked you, um, I agree with your answer. I don't think Phelps starts a playoff game this year. Um, I think I, you go Tanaka two five. I think I think Phelps really. I know that this was the game where his elbow started to bark, but I think mm-hmm. the Boston start really hurt his stock um, because he couldn't get anybody out, um, and he was getting hit really was, hard. His his balls are staying up. Yeah, that's what it was. He couldn't. He didn't have the command. So. I think. Here's what I would I would think, and this is all, by the way, assuming that the Yankees don't acquire someone in August. But yeah, I would say Tanaka game one. We're really far away. This is totally a hypothetical, but Tanaka game one, uh, Kuroda game two, Pineda game three, McCarthy game four, Tanaka game five. Yep. And really, Yankee fans, for everything that's happened this year, for Ivan Nova being out and CC Sabathia being out, that's you know your two and three starters going into the year. I'll tell you what, that doesn't sound that bad. It doesn't sound no, that bad. And that's where the wild card playing game becomes a real disadvantage for a team that doesn't have, you know, the wild card playing game wouldn't be a disadvantage for Oakland or Detroit because they have five horses. So you would feel 150% comfortable throwing, let's say, Porcello out there, who's your fourth starter, theoretically, for that playing game, knowing the season he's had. And then the first round, you've got Verlander, Price, <laughs> Annabel Sanchez and Max Scherzer in your arsenal. And you can go back to Porcello in game four or five if you need to. Like, you know, you'd have no problem throwing your number four starter out there knowing he's not going to start again for a week if you get to four games in the LDS. The Yankees don't have that, especially if Tanaka's back. He's your guy. So if he has to go in a play-in game, you've got to make sure he has four days rest, especially with that elbow. You're not throwing him on three days rest. You're not pulling a CC Sabathia. It messes with the schedule. You've got to work around it. It's definitely a disadvantage. Yeah. But it's an advantage to have an ace for yes. a one-game playoff. Like, oh, yeah. If the Orioles go to a one-game playoff, who do you start? It sure is an advantage to have an ace. But you know what? Adam Wainwright and you, Darvish, have both lost playing games. Yeah. Anything can happen. So That's why I agree with your Kyle, idea. Kyle Loesch won one. That's, your, that's why I agree with your idea of starting Porcello. Um, because you have to put as much stock into tonight's game as you do the potential of an ALDS. Right. Like. That's why if the Yankees got to a play a play-in game, do you think they would say, mm, we could start Tanaka game one and five of the ALDS. Why don't we just let the veteran Kuroda start the uh, one-game playoff and make sure we save Tanaka for the uh, the five-game series? I don't think they would do that because it takes no. big-time cojones to to sit down your, you know. Yeah, the, the flip side of that is that you know you're getting at least one day off. So if Kuroda stinks... You go, you go with the next guy in line, and then you can do what Joe Torre did in, in the playoffs You know, a decade ago when they found a way in Game 7 of that series in 2003 when the starter wasn't feeling it. In came Moose, and you know, yep. the rest is history. Uh, so you can kind of do that. I mean, you can go Johnny Holstaff for that game if you need to and stop the bleeding. You can pull a guy in the first inning and go with the bullpen knowing, let me get, all right, McCarthy's on four days rest. Let me get him up, you know, kind of thing. Uh that's the flip side of it, but I absolutely 100% agree with you that you can't look past the play-in game by saying, we'll save this guy. Right. Because it's do or die. And it's that kind of cockiness, that, that's that's yeah. what you always end up losing yeah. if you think like that. Again, come game five of the ALDS, Oakland or Detroit is ca- comfortable throwing any one of their starters because they've got three or four guys who are of equal value, if not better, Yeah, it's like waiting for them. Unreal. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I... 
I will say I laughed the other day when one of my least favorite reporters asked straight up to uh, somebody, I forget if it was Girardi or one of them, if you sneak into the playoffs. And I'm surprised that he didn't get shown the door. If you sneak into the playoffs. What kind of answer do you think you're going to get to that question? Yeah. Come on. No bueno on that one. No bueno. Um, so we've talked a half hour almost uh, of Yankees, Lou. And I haven't even mentioned how happy I was that Brian Roberts got designated for assignment. Yeah. Wow. Well, you t- taking pleasure in no man losing his job. No, just, I don't. I don't take that's pleasure exactly in it. exactly what we stand for here at the Yes Men podcast. <laughs> I just find it funny that he, sat, he got sat two days before that. You know, and then they DFA him and they do this, whatever. And he was two plate appearances shy of a $250,000 bonus. That just makes oh. way too much sense. Oh, God, can you imagine? That That's just like one of the things you don't hear that. Like, yeah. I'm sure nobody outside of the Yankees beat really knows that. That he was two plate, he, was, he has 348 plate appearances this year. 350 triggered a 200, because his bonus, you know, his bonuses were like so much for every 50 plate appearances beyond, I think, 200. Because he hasn't made 200 since 2009. Uh, yeah, he was two away. They sat him for the last two games before the deadline, and then he got DFA'd, which that sucks. Not only did the guy lose his job, he lost out on $250,000 that he could have gotten just by showing up. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. So I want to ask you, I know you had a few more things you wanted to talk about. Um, one thing I want to bring up really quick is that um, I believe Derek Jeter played his 100th game of the season last night. And um, going into the season, we had a lot of question marks about this team. And a lot of everyone kept saying second base is question mark, third base is question mark. And they very well were Mm -hmm. and have since been plugged by guys that, you know, the Yankees hope uh, will will make them not question marks anymore. Right. But a lot of people said, what are you going to get out of Derek Jeter? He's going to need to DH a lot. Brendan Ryan will play a lot. You know, will he even play 100 games at shortstop? Blah, blah, blah. Well, the fact is, the guy has been Derek Jeter yep. this year. He's a 270, 280 hitter. He's played in the field. Because they can't DH him because of Carlos Beltran. Right. Well, they would if they could. Mm-hmm. They would if they, you know, had to. But and they can't, so they shan't. He's only, you know, he's only played, I think he's only DH seven times this year. You know, I think it's getting overlooked by the rest of the roster moves that the Yankees have made. But the yeah. fact is they have an everyday shortstop and a 40-year-old Derek Jeter. Mm-hmm. And he's been really, really consistent for them this year. And he's going to be balls to the wall for the next 50 games because this is it. There is no tomorrow come November. That's it. He's done. See you yeah. later. Goodbye. Alfredo's in. Take care. So as much as Derek Jeter has never not played at 100%, even playing on an ankle that he eventually broke running to get a ball two years ago. This is going to be sixth gear for the next 50 games for Derek Jeter. And what else did you want to talk about? Well, I, I had mentioned, wanted to mention the Atlantic League rule changes, although they've, oh, right. they've, uh, they've, modi- that last they've modified a couple of them. It, it's a lot of things to speed up the game. The catcher getting a courtesy runner uh, so they could go back to the dugout to put on their gear was one of them. That's since been quelled, so that's not as big a deal. But the Hall of Fame changed the voting process now so that players only get 10 years on the ballot. And I don't know how I feel about that. I, I spoke with, as I think I've mentioned multiple times on this podcast, even when we had him on, the seat next to ours in the Yankees press box is occupied by Jack O'Connell, the secretary treasurer of the Baseball Writers Association. And I asked him about it, and he's like, you know, the board wanted to do it, this, that, the other thing. And there are guys that got elected into the Hall of Fame in their 10th through 15th years. You know, Burt Blylevin, Jim Rice, Duke Snyder took 12 years. 
But now for guys who are up there like Mark McGuire, who are kind of in the seven eight range, now their their stock just got a lot bleaker. And I think the theoretical downside to this is guys now might get into the Hall of Fame, if not five years sooner than they should have, but in period, if they wouldn't have. I mean, they grandfathered in the players that are in their last five years of ballot, Don Mattingly being one of them. But if McGuire doesn't go in in the next couple of years, he becomes veterans committee fodder immediately as opposed to having to wait it out. I, it, I think it completely changes the Hall of Fame landscape. Is there any aspect of voting for baseball Hall of Famers that is clear, concise, and well done? Yeah, they send out a ballot. <laughs> I, I like that. I mean, you know, we laugh at some. I mean, Jock Jones was on the Hall of Fame ballot. Yes. Like, I, I mean, Jock Jones is, shouldn't even be in the Twins Hall of Fame, but let alone why? the Baseball Hall of Fame. <laughs> but why? <laughs> let me ask you a question. What is the point of of the baseball writers? saying this guy shouldn't get in until his eighth year. If a guy is a Hall of Famer, he's a Hall of Famer. If he's the right vote, vote for him. Don't look at a ballot and say, I'm not going to vote for this guy this year because I don't think he deserves my vote. But maybe after he sits on the ballot for another six years. And there's nobody better, yeah. It's not like he's improving his numbers. He's been retired. Well, I think that's what – and I think that's one of the things that is bloated about the process is that you can only have ten names on your ballot. There's 30-whatever finalists every year. It changes. Why can't you vote for all 32? I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there that would just vote for all 32 because they're morons. <laughs> it's probably the same moron that sold his vote to Deadspin for the fans to do it. But I don't understand why you're lim- – I mean, I can see voting for 10 guys like for an award like Cy Young because you're voting for a winner, but it's based on a point system so that you have to vote for other guys and you know listen. I mean, there's, there's going to be ballots – there might have been more than 10 guys people think are Hall of Famers that were on the ballot last year. Next year, you know, Randy Johnson and Pedro Martinez and guys like this. I mean, dominant players from this era start coming on, started this year with Maddox Clavin and the Big Hurt. There might be 12 guys you feel as a Hall of Famer. So you can only vote for 10. There's going to be two guys that you're like, well, we'll wait. On the flip side of that, if I'm thinking that way and I'm like, well, you know what? Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin are shoe-ins. So let me vote for these other two guys. That I have 12 guys that I think are Hall of Famers. These two are shoe-ins, so let me vote for the other 10. It may not happen. It may happen sooner than you think, but there's going to come a day where somebody's going to get bigeoed and he's going to get 74.8% of the vote because 25% of the populace was like, well, I have 12 guys that are Hall of Famers. These two are shoe-ins, so I'm not going to vote for them. Right. It could very well happen to Derek Jeter. He'll get in. But what I'm saying, you know, people are talking about how he'll get 100% of the vote. Nobody will ever get 100% of no, the vote. No, because that scenario will happen. You have a limit to the amount of people that you can put on yeah. your ballot. And if you're in love with 11 guys, you're like, Derek Jeter doesn't need my vote. He'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm going to vote for the other 10. Let the other voters vote for Derek Jeter. That's how it'll happen. It just seems yeah. like you're putting limits on the voting when there's the Hall- 630 something votes. Right. So I mean, just- and it and it doesn't ever decrease unless people die. Right. It's not like they take it. Well, I mean, Labitard lost his vote, but you, um, you know, it, it's not like you're you're taking away votes and they just add more and more. So like 75 percent becomes harder and harder every year. 75 percent of the vote, even though yes, you would think theoretically based on numbers that. Four out of 16 gives you, you know, less of a chance than 
whatever, 200 out of, out of 800 kind of thing, you know, like that's the number of people that can't vote for you. Theoretically, it, it would work that way, but it doesn't because there's people who you just don't know how they're going to, what they're going to think. And if that happens, I mean, it'd be a shame if, I know he's not going to be unanimous, but it'd be a damn shame if, if Derek's not a first ballot guy or even close to Seaver at 98.6 or whatever it is. One of the interesting things he had mentioned, though, that he had thought of as an idea is that if you want to keep guys on the ballot past 10 years, but instead of, you know, now it's whatever, they need 5% of the vote or whatever to stay on the ballot, have it be like 30. Because Don Mattingly, I don't think, has gotten 30% of the vote in any of his first 14 years. But it would be interesting to see, well, we got to keep this, you know, he keeps on the ballot at 31, you know, kind of thing. That might be interesting to raise their threshold to stay on the ballot longer, but then it all comes back to 600 votes times 10. There's a finite math equation I don't feel like figuring out that determines exactly how much the Hall of Fame yeah, can expand Yeah, we don't stand by. for math here. Yeah, so it's too hard to do in my head. But uh, So it'll be interesting to see how that affects, like I said, guys like McGuire who are in their seventh, eighth year, you know, as opposed to obviously it doesn't mean anything to Randy Johnson and Pedro Martinez are on the ballot yet. It doesn't necessarily mean anything to the guys past 10 because they're staying on either way, but... It'll be interesting. We both agree that the Hall of Fame voting process is a little bloated as it is. So uh, who knows? We'll see what this change brings. We'll have to wait a few years, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. With that, uh, I think that's a good way to bring this edition of the S-Men to a close. Uh, I'm on vacation next week, so Doug, you may be on your own if you decide to uh, yes-men it out. uh, a special guest. Oh. Should I announce it or should I – Well, it depends. I mean if it's like, you know – your dad, you might want to announce that people listen to it. But if it's I'm like not, you know, if it's you know Joey from Edit Four, I mean, you know, it's not really going to draw eyes. I don't. No, think. we'll Sorry, have uh, we're going to have Bob Lorenz on. Oh well, there you go. That's that's going to draw ears. Uh, I will listen to the that. famed that's host of uh, the Yankees pre and post game <clears throat> shows. Mm-hmm. That's a lie. I'll be golfing all week, so I probably won't listen to. And it. And he will be uh, he will be joining me next week. So stay Bob, tuned for that. Bob TV or Bob Radio, as it as it will be. So that'll be interesting. So you can join Doug and Bob next week uh, while I'm off golfing in South Carolina uh, in the middle of the August heat. Pray for me because I might need it. Until then, I'm Lou. He's Doug. Bob's probably downstairs at this point, and he'll be here next week. We are the Yes Men. Remember to subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes if you haven't already. Keep listening, and we'll see you next time.